Hi, Darren. It's really, really awesome to have you on here. And um, I'm really excited to getting to know your story and being able to share that with everyone. And so um, just to begin, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are mm -hmm. and uh, what you do. Okay, cool. So um, hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Um, so my name is Darren and I am a transformational life coach. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. Um, who I am. So I'm a Cancerian gay witch who likes to spend time talking to tarot cards and meditating with crystals. Like I'm a bit of a hippie, if, if you want to call it that. Um, but equally, I'm also a Zumba instructor. So I spend most of my free time empowering women and men um, in self-love through dance, um, because I've been a dancer since I was a young boy. Um, very culturally obsessed, uh, meaning that I love to travel. Uh, I love eating so many different kinds of food from different cultures. I listen to any type of music that's not in English. I do listen to English songs, aside from what my husband will tell you. I do listen to them, but I'm very selective on my English music that I listen to. Most of the stuff I listen to is foreign, just because I love music and like sound and all that kind of stuff, just because I think that uh, music is like a, uh, it's like a, international language like you don't have to understand lyrics of a song to get the feeling of the song um that comes from me being a very emotional person so i've always turned to music as a source of helping me elicit an emotion um so yeah i wear many hats as you can tell <laughs> but uh being a typical cancer and we don't like to be constrained or constricted into one little box um so we're constantly evolving and changing and doing many 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 things um, because I don't like, I like to keep myself busy basically. Yeah. yeah that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> um, but I wasn't always this way. So, um, uh, I'll just jump straight into my story, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, I'm from a family of five, uh, meaning three, three kids and two parents, um, like a typical nuclear family or whatever they call it. Nuclear nucleus, whatever that word is. <laughs> like that, that, <laughs> Whatever that word is, you can tell I like to crack jokes too. I'm, most of the time, I'm very sarcastic and a, a bit of a, uh, like, yeah, the type of person that I've learned to laugh through, through trauma, through pain. So I tend to crack jokes a lot. So apologies for that. But uh, anyways, I'll just go with it. So um, yeah, I come from a, one of those typical families where you have two parents, three kids. Uh, we grew up in a very low socio-demographic part of Melbourne. Um, so my mum worked full time pretty much from when I was two weeks old. She would drop me off at my grandparents' place and I'd spend all day with them while my brother and sister were at school. And then in the evening, she'd pick me up on the way home from school. I'd go home, dinner, bed, like that kind of thing. So for the first, I'd say five years of my life, most of that was spent with my grandparents who don't speak English as a first language. Um, so culturally, the way I was raised was a very Eastern European upbringing of a very stern type of parenting. Um, because my grandparents obviously raised my mum and then they raised me to a, to a large extent. Um, but in, in my home life, being from a low socio-demographic family and a single income family, um, my childhood was nothing short of, uh, what's the word I could use? Colourful. Um, I'd say in so much as uh, I was the type of kid that would always keep to himself. Uh, I was very, very quiet, L different to now. Now I don't shut up. But um, as a kid, I was very, very quiet and kept to myself. But the reason for that, it was a, um, 
almost like a protection thing because my dad was a very abusive man. Um, so he was physically abusive when I was very young, he used to drink. Um, and I just knew that anytime there'd be like a social setting and there'd be alcohol involved that he would get violent. Um, eventually my mom gave him an ultimatum. He stopped drinking, but that didn't stop the violence. So for the first 21 years of my life, I was physically beaten. Um, I would be comfortable in saying almost on a daily basis, if not several times a day. Um, so it would take until I was 33 or 32 before I ever understood why he was that way. Uh, like I'll never fully understand, but I now have more of an understanding because I did a little bit of digging. Um, but yeah, so for me, when I talk about physically abusive, um, I'm not just talking, you know, smack on the bum or, you know, slap on the face or something like that. I'm talking like physical abuse. Um, my earliest childhood memory up until I did some hypnosis and some timeline therapy, my earliest childhood memory was the age four when I remember wanting to go to the Dandenong show. If anyone is from Melbourne, they'll know the Dandenong show. Um, and I wanted to go so badly because all the kids in the court were going to the show. Um, but coming from a poor family, we like, I, I asked my mom and she said, no, I couldn't go, but I didn't understand. I didn't have that awareness of, I just thought anything we want, we get because mom has a card that she puts in a machine and she gets money. Like I didn't realize that there's a whole thing that had to happen for that. Mm. All I knew is I wanted to go to the show and I couldn't go to the show. And so I obviously I cried about it. And then uh, when my dad got home and he saw me crying, he asked what happened. And when my mom told him it's because I wanted to go to the show, then I copped abuse. Like I was basically, my earliest memory was me being drop kicked like a football across the room and into a wall unit. Um, and then being beaten to a pulp. And then when I was crying hysterically, I was then beaten for crying until I'd shut up. So I learned from a very young age that you don't cry about things. You don't express feelings. You don't express emotion because if you do, the beating just amplifies. So it taught me the habit of not opening up um, because if you open up too much, then you'll just cop a beating. Um, but yeah, so not to dwell too much on that particular memory, but then, yeah, that was pretty much a daily occurrence in my life. School holidays for me was spent uh, playing Lego by myself, trying to keep quiet because if you made too much noise, if I was in a good mood and dad was in a bad mood, I'd cop a beating. If I was in a bad mood and he was in a good mood, I'd cop a beating. If I was making too much noise, I'd cop a beating. If I um, didn't make him his cup of coffee in the morning the right way, I'd cop a beating. Like It was just... Like I'm trying to paint a picture and I know I'm being quite comical about it, but it was literally any reason to abuse us kids was there. Um, so as a result of that, um, that caused me to be very uh, quiet, very introverted. Um, I kept to myself most of the time. Um, I didn't really, and then because of that, I had a bit of social anxiety. Like I didn't want to really play with other kids because I didn't know how to. Um, because like I, I didn't want to get in trouble basically. Um, then as I was growing up, like from a young age, I knew I was different to other kids. Um, for those that can't tell from this video, I'm clearly gay. Um, <laughs> not, well, maybe not clearly, but I think I am. I, I always jokingly say that blind and deaf dogs can tell I'm gay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so because like from a young age, I knew I was different, but I never expressed that to anyone. I kept that very much to myself because again, um, my dad was a very religious man. So 
telling your very Catholic devout father that you're homosexual is not exactly the top on the priority list of things to say as a kid. Um, so I also suppressed to that side of myself. Um, like when all the other kids were playing Kiss Chasey, I was running away for a whole different reason. <laughs> it's true. Like, like, I don't want the girls to kiss me. Not the same reason the boys didn't want the girls to kiss them. Um, but yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Sorry to make you laugh. This is what I mean. See, for no, me, no, laugh. I love it. I absolutely love it. That was just. Uh, I, I like to kind of chip away, because also because like I find this is. Sorry, I digress a little bit. Like when talking about trauma, mm -hmm. I try to normalize it as much as possible because I'm, I'm not trying to do a woe is me feel sorry for me story. It, this is a story that I've come to learn that a lot of kids have in common. So I apply comedy to it as a means of you know coping. Um, and to normalize it, not that I think we should, because society is slowly evolving and changing, but I know that people my age, a lot of people have a similar, similar upbringing, because when we were kids in the 80s and stuff, and in the 90s, it wasn't as unacceptable to hit your kids. Now it's very much a PC-oriented society where you, don't, you can't even smack your kid in public because... God forbid all people would jump on social media and post videos of you and stuff like that. Yep. And by the way, me saying that isn't me condoning smacking kids in the mm -hmm. slightest. Um, but I'm just saying how, t as we've evolved as a people and as a society, um, things have changed. But anyway, back to my story. Um, I think once we got to like my early teens, again, I was still the quiet kid at school, kept to myself. I was a nerd. I buried my face in books because it was, you know, if I'm, if I'm reading a book, I can't get in trouble, right? Well, or so I thought. Um, but there would always be a reason why I would get in trouble. I don't know why, but anyway. Um, and then uh, I wouldn't invite kids over because, again, I didn't want anyone to see my home life because, like, I was embarrassed of it. Mm. Um, I, I, but that's all I knew. I just assumed everyone's family was like this because if, if I'm getting beaten on a daily basis, then surely everyone else is. Um, so it's not something I really felt to talk about or open up to anyone about. Um, then my teenage years when I started to become like hormones started to kick in when I was going through puberty and then I started to realize, oh, I'm actually attracted to boys. Um, maybe men. I had a crush on a school teacher once when I was in grade six, male school teacher. Um, so like, but it's, again, at that age, I didn't understand what that meant. Um, it's not like today's society where gay is everywhere and rainbow flags are everywhere and everyone's really super like it's almost cool to know someone that's gay or to go to a pride march or to you know do the equal like equal rights rallies and all that kind of stuff like it's it's so common practice today but back in those days it was still you don't talk about it you don't express it um but yeah i knew that i was different i knew i was attracted to boys um there was a friend of mine and i that used to experiment with each other sexually but always in quiet and in hiding it wasn't until i was around about Ooh. I'd say 16, did I start to tell people? Um, until then, it was like a dirty little secret that I knew, but I didn't tell anyone because, again, I didn't want anyone to find out, especially didn't want my parents to find out growing up in a very Catholic family. Um, but one of the first coping mechanisms I learned because of all the abuse and the suppression was um, to binge drink. So from, I think earliest age was I think around about 14 when I started to binge drink um you know going out to kids parties or kids houses and you'd always find a way of getting alcohol somehow you just wouldn't tell any of the parents about it um and then you drink alcohol until you got 
blind drunk and throw up and then pass out and then wake up and then make sure your parents didn't find out. Um, so that was something that I started when I was around about 14. Again, like who thinks of a, an alcoholic at the age of 14? Like you think of alcoholism as a thing that affects parents, but it affects kids too. Like that's why I'm a massive advocate for, you know, making sure that teens are educated about alcoholism and about, you know, healthy coping mechanisms um, because I didn't have anyone there to tell me that that's wrong or that that could affect me later on in life. Um, I mean, abuse still continued from then on. Um, and then when I hit probably around about, I think I would have been about 18. Um, again, being gay, going out to clubs, drugs is a big thing. Recreational drug use, it's common practice. It's very widely accepted. I mean, you only have to go into a gay club and I can guarantee you that, you know, a certain percentage of the crowd will be on some kind of substance. Um, so again, as a form of escapism, I dabbled in recreational drugs. Um, it's something I used to deny and not tell anyone, but now I'm very open. I tell my mum everything. Like I've told her now that I used to take, you know, ecstasy and speed and things like that just to escape reality. Um, because as much as like some of the viewers watching this, this might be a really hard topic to listen to, but because um, some people have very strong views against drug use, but until you live the life that someone else has lived and you understand what they've gone through it's very easy to judge them for their life decisions um so i know that in australia we have a massive ice epidemic um but having dabbled in recreational drugs like i used it as a form of escapism because for that however many hours that i was high i wouldn't be thinking about the abuse even though i was still getting abused like it was my escape from reality because like for those that haven't done drugs, like you're picturing all kinds of shit. Like you're in this happy, loving bubble of where you just, everyone's your best friend and you just want to dance to this psychedelic music. And there's like lasers going everywhere. And, and in my mind, I'm not even on earth anymore. I'm in a fucking intergalactic planet dancing to this trippy music. Like, because it was a, a form of escapism. It's no different to when you binge drink and pass out. Like, cause when you're drunk, you picture life differently. Um, so, um, coupled with that i mean when i was going through those teen years um with the drinking and then later on with the drug abuse like there were also multiple times when i i had tried to commit suicide um one of the earliest memories i had was when i, I used to have pet mice and i had a glass tank that they i kept them in and they had like you know their sawdust and all their little toys and whatever so every so often I'd have to put them in a temporary thing and then go and wash the tank out because, you know, mice pee everywhere. Um, and I remember one time when I was in the, uh, in the laundry trough, cleaning out the tank that I slipped and the corner cut me down this part of my arm, just that little bit. And at first it stung. And then I looked at it and I saw the blood coming out and there was a split second when my mind was like, if I cut that little bit deeper, my pain will be over. Um, and I won't have to live this life anymore. And for me at the time, like as much as for some people, they're like, like some people listening to this, this might be a really heavy topic. So I, I hope I don't trigger anyone, but um, I think it's important to talk about mental health and suicide and things like that, because so many people suffer from it. Um, for me at that split second, like seeing the blood, feeling the sting, but then thinking, Hey, this might be my out this might put an end to everything. So there's no more abuse. There's no more, like, I don't have to escape this. This is the ultimate escape. Like I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. 
So for that split second, there was that thought of just ending it all. Um, but then on the other hand, when I actually um, looked into it some more, well, I thought about it some more, not looked into it. What am I saying? I was 16. When I thought about it some more, the one thing that popped into my mind is my mum. And I thought, this woman is my rock. Like she's been there through all of this with us. Um, and she's been working like a dog since the day I can remember, like since two weeks old, she started working and she worked every single day, overtime, extra time, whatever, to get money to support a family of five. I'm like, if I end my life, like she's going to have to deal with that. And she will have to then live her life knowing that I killed myself. And so for me, that was the thing that broke me out of that cycle that one time. Um, obviously I don't remember every suicide attempt, but I know there were many, including one time taking multiple ecstasy pills, hoping that I wouldn't wake up from the land that I was in. Hmm. Um, like a lot of people have memories of their 21st birthdays being happy and fun. And, Oh my God, what'd you do for your 21st? Oh my God, I had 50 people. We had a party, blah, 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 blah. My 21st birthday was literally me getting as many drugs as I could get my hand on and I, that I could afford and just keep taking them until I, that, that was it. Um, which in hindsight, like, I mean, I'm sure there's better ways to take one's life than, you know, cause I'm sure that taking that amount of drugs is not good for your system um and it's funny that i should say 21 because like for me 21 was a pivotal time in my life um that was the when i finally like i guess i get got to that point in my life where i kind of woke up to what was going on and i started to like grow up and think shit like how many years have i been using alcohol and drugs and attempted suicide and all this kind of stuff as coping mechanisms and of escaping this when like i was finally at the stage where i thought I can stop this. I'm 21. Like I can just leave. I don't have to stay here. Who said I have to live with my parents? Mm -hmm. um, and I recanted a memory um, that plays through my mind as like my, my source of strength that where every time I, something I'm facing adversity in life, I go back to this particular memory. Um, and it was the time when I was actually seeing uh, a partner of mine, which is my current, husband so we've been together for 15 years now and we were just hanging out at the time in my bedroom and he him and I were just chatting and stuff and I could hear the unmistakable sound of like an, uh, an argument between my sister and my dad and I knew exactly where it was headed like that kind of a you hear the sounds and you know where it's going mm. so I just said to him just stay here do not leave the room just just stay no matter what you hear just stay here because I, again I didn't want him to see what was going on um, and I left the room because I wanted to obviously stop whatever was happening. Um, side story, I'll come back to that. I'm just going to park that there for a sec. Um, with me, I kind of, since my, the earliest memories of what I can remember of abuse, I was always that kid that would, whenever there was an argument or something, I would always run into the room like whoever the argument was between, whether it was my mum and my dad yelling at each other and my dad threatening her or, or whatever, or my sister and my dad or my brother and my dad, I was always the one that would run into the argument and the confrontation. And I would stand between my dad and whoever he was being the aggressor towards. Um, and like some people will think, what the hell, who does that? What kid does that? 
Like I remember doing that from a very young age and I've seen psychologists for years to try to deal with this stuff because it would always plague my mind that would make, maybe if I did more, maybe if I fought harder to stop the fighting um, and I've unpacked it so many times over the years. And for me, the only thing I can deduce from that kind of an action is that it was easier for me to deal with the physical wounds of getting beaten myself than to witness or, or deal with my family members getting abused or, you know, hearing them or seeing them like the trauma that I would experience from witnessing abuse for me was so much more costly. And so it would hit me harder because then I'd, I've had, the, I could see it. Like when you see something that's implanted in your brain, that's your memory banks then. Whereas at least if I interjected and I stood between them and I was getting beaten, I wouldn't be watching them get beaten because wounds heal, but memories are with you for life. So like, and I know that sounds really fucked up. Uh, and sorry, pardon my French. I probably should have said uh, the occasional F word might come out. Um, that sounds really like shitty for a kid to think like that. But that was like my kind of fight and flight would kick in in that instance that I guess it comes from my upbringing that like, you know, if something's happening, you always fight, you never back down. Um, and bringing it back to my memory at 21, that was why I was the way that I was. And if I heard the argument happening, I ran to jump in and to interject. So I literally stood between my dad and my sister. And I, for the first time in my life, I, like I stood up to him like I did when I was a kid, but it wasn't stop hurting, stop doing it. I literally, my voice was different this time. And I'm like, if you want to get to her, you have to get through me first. Mm -hmm. Like, because finally I was 21. Like I was actually of a relevant size to him. Like my dad was taller than I was and he's much more solid built than I am. But like, I was more in line with him than being a kid. Like I'm finally at that age where I can stand up. Um, and I kind of learned a little bit of grit being out in the clubbing scene and just being out on Chapel Street at the age of 18 when like hoons would drive down from Chapel Street around the corner to Commercial Road and I'd be walking from one gay club to another and they'd pick a bottle at me. Like there's certain things you learn in life, street smarts, they piff a bottle at me, I grab it and I piff it back. Like, and that's because like, as a, and again, as a protection thing, I'm not, I'm not condoning violence, mm -hmm. but like I learned yeah. a certain amount of like, if you want to pick a fight with me, you better throw a good punch because if, if I'm still standing, you're dead. And it was because like, I learned to grow that whole, um, like I'm not just going to sit here and cop it anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I know that that's not sending a really good message. I'm not condoning for people to punch in the slightest. It was at that time in my life, going through what I went through, I was finally learning that, you know, hey, I can fight back. I don't just have to sit here and cop it in a little pulp of mess and have someone beating me. I can actually stand up to them. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did at the age of 21. I stood up to my dad and, and that was a challenge to him. He'd never had that before. Mm -hmm. So he was like, oh yeah? you want me to get through you? Okay, then. And he literally threw me to the ground and was beating the absolute living shit out of me. Um, it was a little bit foggy. I believe that I passed out for a period of time because I don't remember all of it, that or I've blocked it out from my memory. Mm -hmm. um, but I know the things that I do know is I remember my sister calling out saying, stop hitting him, like, stop it, stop it. And she was crying hysterically next to me because now she's witnessing me get hit which is what I was trying to stop myself from witnessing. You know what I mean? So like as much as I was trying to save her, I was then subjecting her to psychological trauma because now she's watching her younger brother get hit. 
So like now in hindsight, I can see that me doing what I did was not necessarily the best. It may have worked for me, but then I've traumatized everyone else in my family, mm. but it, it is what it is. Um, and it's at that point that uh, my husband, what well, then boyfriend were heard, stop hitting him. Mm. And that's when he's like, hang on a second, something's changed. So he did come out of the room because yeah. he's like, because my husband is six foot two and he used to do martial arts as a kid. So he's the type of person that if you're going to throw a punch, like he can defend himself and disarm you real quickly. Yeah. Um, so he came across like the house to try to help me then. Um, and that's when my mum also heard the commotion at that point. Cause it happened. So like I'm explaining it like it's this long drawn out process. It was quick. Like it happened almost instantaneously. My mum came out of the room and she saw Chris coming out of the room and then she's like, fuck what's going on. And then that's when she yelled out to my dad and said, what the hell are you doing? Look what you're doing to this family. And then he turned and saw Chris who had a clenched fist ready to throw a punch. Mm. And that's when he, something snapped and he's like, he went to exit the house and in the process opened the front door, which hit me in the back of the head and knocked me out briefly and then left the house for a period of time. Um, so that was the last time that I recall him ever hitting me. Um, and like, I talk about it, like I stopped it. Really, I didn't because I got hit, but that was when the dynamic shifted, mm. I guess, because I'm now at that age where I'm not going to take your shit and I'll stand up to you if I get hit. So what? Like, it's just a bruise. It was no longer like, don't hit me, don't hit me. It was like now, oh, well, it's just a bruise. What else you got? Because um, I knew that now I'm old enough and smart enough because I've been to school that I can now fight you using my words. Mm. So that's when I started to bite back <laughs> verbally, yeah. um, not verbally abusing my dad, but just, I would have those little side digs and make those side comments and all that kind of stuff that would hit him far harder than any punch would ever hurt him. Um, so for the next three years, like I still lived with my, like I actually know at that point though, I lie. My boyfriend told me, he's like, you're not living with him anymore. I'm getting you out of this situation. So we left. Um, but I would still visit my, parents um it's around a similar time that i actually told them that i was gay um because i'm like you know what i'm gonna stand in my truth i'm gonna stand in my own and um that's when i finally came out to my parents i'm like couldn't get any worse i already live out of home anyway i've stood up to the aggressor in my life like fuck it you want to beat me i'm out of home what are you gonna do come find me mm -hmm. um <laughs> i know that's the wrong attitude to have when you're coming out um, my coming out story is a little bit more dramatic than that i'm giving you the <laughs> version um <laughs> But yeah, so I guess that was kind of where I took a turning point in my life. Um, like that's not to say that, sorry, this flies bugging me. Um, that's not to say that everything was easy from then. Like I still dabbled in drugs and all that kind of stuff for a couple of years after that um, because I was still coping. Like whilst the abuse stopped, I then continued the abuse on myself, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. Um, I even like I got to that point where I believed that I wasn't worthy of having love. So here I was with a at that stage, Chris and I had only been together for a few months. Um, but every ex before him had cheated on me. Um, and receiving abuse from your parent and then abusing yourself with drugs and alcohol and then having partners cheat on you when they tell you they love you and then they cheat on you all of that just reaffirmed that I'm not worthy of receiving love. So I went through this whole self blame process. Um, and then for the first three years of my relationship with Chris, I would try to sabotage it. 
like legitimately sabotage it. Um, because even though I wasn't conscious of the fact that I was sabotaging my own relationship, I didn't believe that he was going to stick around for a long time because I didn't think that I deserved it because I believed that like, what's there to love? Like my own parents can't love me. How can someone else love me? Um, so I realized that I, a lot of my story comes from a level of self-loathing. Um, so eventually after like three years, I finally realized that Chris wasn't leaving me and he was going to stay with me for good. Um, and as I said, now I'm together, we've been together for 15 years and we're in the next chapter of our life, but it wasn't until age 35 that I finally put an end to the abuse cycle. So, um, that's where I discovered the whole world of, um, neuro-linguistic programming or NLP as people call it, uh, timeline therapy, life coaching. Um, I finally found an avenue that I could actually eliminate this subconscious programming that I had. Um, and I've never felt better. I mean, I'm no longer, I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't take drugs anymore. I don't beat myself up mentally, physically, emotionally, any of that stuff anymore. Um, when I recount my stories, they're not from a position of pain. My stories are actually from a position of strength and I reflect on them in a whole different light. Um, and I've been able to tap into aspects of my personality that I didn't even think were possible. Mm. So I literally just left my job and started our coaching business together because now I want to help other people. Cause I know that this story is not uncommon. I'm not special. My story is not a one of a kind thing. There are plenty of people out there, maybe not the exact same story, but I know there are plenty of kids that have been abused, even partners that are abused in relationships or from parents or from siblings or whatever. Yeah. Um, I know there are people who abuse themselves. I know there are people who cut themselves and who, you know, try to take their own life and, and who use binge drinking and drug abuse to escape reality. Um, so for me, I draw on my story as a means of giving me fuel to help others. Um, cause even though it's just talking about my story, like for all I know, the person listening to this might be going through this exact scenario in their head and I've come out of it the other end. So if nothing else, if, if, if this is the only interaction I have with that person, then hopefully me sharing this story helps them realize you're not the only one out there. Mm. Like there are other people like you and there is an end to this. Like there is a way to come out the other end. Good. There is a way to end the cycle. There is a way to feel a more fulfilled life and stop beating yourself up. Um, so that's why I've become very vocal now and I, you know, post Facebook lives and I share my story and it's not just about having a business and like trying to get money off people. That's not what I'm here for. Um, I want to help people because I felt like I didn't have the help that I needed when I was younger. Um, and it all starts with a conversation. You don't know who's listening. You don't know who's watching. Um, especially on social media. I post a video and I think that the only people who've watched it are my friends, but for all I know, they've liked it or commented or shared it. And someone else who I don't even know has watched it, liked it, commented and shared it. And then they've, then their friends and then their friends and then their friends. And then I get a random message from a stranger saying, Oh my God, I just saw your story. That is, I went through that exact same thing. I want to know more. Mm. Um, so that's why I do what I do. I realize that my life purpose, the reason why I've, I'm on this earth. It's not to, not to make money necessarily. That's great too, but it's, it's to help heal people. Um, because I say that hurt people hurt people. I say it again for emphasis, hurt people hurt people. That means people who have been hurt will often repeat the process and hurt others. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that if that's true, 
because I believe in universal laws that if one thing is true, then the opposite is also true. And for me, that's that healed people need to heal people. So, because it takes, sometimes people don't have the strength to stop the process, whatever it is, whether it's to stop the aggressor or to stop themselves from aggressing on themselves. Um, Because they, you know, you need support. You need the right people around you. You can't do it alone and you don't have to do it alone. Um, But it all starts with sharing a story. This is why I say like, whilst I'm being very graphic with my story, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. We don't talk about it enough. Yeah, we have, are you okay day? But I believe, yes, I do say to people, are you okay on that day, blah, blah, blah. But I ask people, like, any time I notice that my friends, especially on social media, like, people use social media to project their best self. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm showing you how much fun I'm having. I'm showing you how amazing my life is. I'm showing you that I'm traveling lots and I'm eating this great food. I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm so happy. That's great. But I use social media for that as well as sharing about the things that I go through the tough times that I've had um, the struggles that I've been through or that I'm going through now because it's social media. It's not just false fake media. Like it's, it's to be social. It's to have those interactions. It's to talk to each other. Um, not just to project what we want to live. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm, it does. And in speaking I think- of um, like, are you okay day? Um, like, one day a year and even myself I was going through a lot around that time and Mm -hmm. even though people were asking everyone are you okay not one person asked me on that day but I kind of felt like really crappy about it like I was I was expecting to be asked just so I could talk about what was like coming up for me and nobody asked and I realized you know I don't I don't need someone to ask me if I'm okay to be able to express myself I should just be able to do that yeah the thing is a lot of people don't have that kind of realization Mm. they wait to be asked before they open up but Mm. that's why i share my story so candidly and so openly because i i want to inspire other people to share i want people to get their story out there which is like why i think why you and i clicked so much because like you mean you and i are random friends that connected through mutual friends on facebook yeah but like I love connecting with you, even if our interactions are only occasional messages here and there or occasional conversations or whatever. Like I like connecting with you because you stand for what I stand for, which is about having conversations. Yeah. Like the, the only thing taboo is the thing that you don't talk about. To me, nothing is taboo. Mm-hmm. You can ask whatever you want. Like, <laughs> um, because if we open up and we show people that we have the strength and the courage to be vulnerable, um, that will help them be more vulnerable. Yeah. Strength doesn't come from sucking it up and burying it deep. Strength comes from showing your vulnerability to others and connecting with them on a true deep level. That's vulnerability and that's strength. Yeah. Um, like I'm a massive advocate for Brene Brown. If anyone hasn't read a Brene Brown book, where are you hiding? Are you under a rock? Um, <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> what? I oh my God. She's amazing. Like even okay, yeah. if you do nothing else, I'm gonna go mm-hmm. give it. Like I don't. She doesn't sponsor me, but I'm gonna do a, a shameless <laughs> plug. At least, at the very, very least, there's a Netflix 
um, show that she has. Mm, I've heard of it. But, but if you just look up Brene Brown on Netflix, it will come up. Yeah. Um, I think it's called A Time for Courage or something like that anyway. Yeah. And it's just a talk that she did. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Like it's, it's truly her work as a researcher in vulnerability and shame mm. is like, like it hit me on so many levels so many levels because I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of my family life. I was ashamed of my sexuality. I was ashamed of my drug use and my alcohol use. I was ashamed to be bulimic. That's one thing I just realized I never even spoke about in my story. Like I had that much self-loathing that I formed an unhealthy attachment to food and I would binge and then purge. For those that don't know what purge means, it's basically forcing yourself to throw up whatever you ate because I was bulimic. I had this, skewed view on how I looked because I was always the chubby kid. Well, actually, no, from a very young age, I was actually the skinny kid. And my mom took me to the doctors thinking there was something wrong with me. But then as I got older, then I would use food as a comfort source mm. um, because food makes you feel good, especially chocolate and, you know, KFC <laughs> or whatever, like the greasy, gross, yucky food. Like it makes us feel good because it, mm. now I've learned that it's because it releases those good hormones in your head. Uh, like, I mean, I, I love reading studies and there's a study that shows that chocolate and sugar has the same chemical reaction in the brain as heroin. Like, think about that for a second. <laughs> so people that would judge me for my choices on drug use, not that I've ever done heroin, like at all, um, but people that would judge me for my uses on drug use, question yourself, how much sugar you're eating? Because it has the same reaction on the brain. Mm. Um, and if you don't believe me, go Google it. <laughs> there have been yeah. countless studies done on it. Psychological yeah. studies yeah. done on the uh, brain activity and the levels of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think is it dopamine or whatever, like, you know, on the brain and like the yeah. certain like drug chemicals and stuff. Now I've replaced that. Like, again, I'm, I'm not perfect. I do occasionally have sugar, but I try to eliminate sugar, caffeine and alcohol from my diet completely because I'm on a health kick. Yeah. Um, and I've now realized that I don't need it to have, energy mm. actually I have more energy now that i don't eat sugar <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have that come down but anyway i've digressed off the topic again um but yeah so yeah with me there are there's so many girls out there mainly boys too especially in the gay community that have eating disorders mm -hmm. that's another thing we don't talk about anywhere near enough mm. um because society is projecting this image of this is how you should look this is how you should live your life um, but even the people in those photos aren't the real people in those photos. They've been airbrushed and whatever else. So like as a society, we have a moral obligation as a society to preach better things like healthy body image, self-love, vulnerability, like all these things are such, such important topics, good mental health like plans and things like that. But with society, we, we, we think that because we have one day a year that talks about one of these topics, because I think I'm pretty sure that there is a day where, or there's a week that we talk about um, mental health. I think it's mental health awareness week or whatever it is. I think it's in October, yeah, something, something like, like that. Or September, October, somewhere around there. And we have, are you okay day? And then, you know, and same thing, like it's not just those causes, other causes in life as well that we talk about in one day or one week. And then we never talk about them again. Um, but I want to change that. And I know you want to change that. <laughs> Anyways, Can I'll stop digressing. One day or one week where we think about mental health and think about, you know, what people are going through. It should be something we, we think constantly every day. Yep. Every day someone's going through something. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Um, so what you were saying before was, you know, we recently connected, um, I think you were at the NLP um, yeah. seminar. And um, yeah, you randomly like were in my newsfeed because you, you were tagging people that I had been connected with. And yep. I saw you speak on stage and that's when I'm like, yeah, I'm adding this guy. <laughs> like oh, I instantly cool. felt connected like on some level, like I'm like, like his vulnerability, um, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's how I got connected with you. Um, I do have a question that you, you were discussing, um, yeah. actually two questions. Um, the one was, when was the moment that you felt love? Because you said you hadn't experienced that growing up as a child and early adulthood and you self-sabotage your relationship. So when was Shit. it? Ooh, that's heavy. Um, <laughs> when was it that I first experienced love? I mean, look, to be frank, like I had boyfriends over the years and there were times that at that point in time with that much reference, I thought that I was experiencing love. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you say I love you to people and whatever. Mm. But now in hindsight, I realized it wasn't. It was just an infatuational lust or whatever it was, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't like true love because like, okay, I'm in two minds about this, top about this topic. There's one part of me that believes that in order to love others, you need to love yourself first. Mm -hmm. But there's another part of me that says that's a crock of shit because you can love someone exclusive to yourself and still be working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. for me, I think that the love is the ultimate truth. I believe, um, like I'm a spiritual person, but I was raised in the Catholic church, then walked away from that. Then at the latest age in life, went into the Orthodox church, thought that this was my calling um, and then I walked away from that. And then I've dabbled in all kinds of like Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and da da da, like taking all these little things and whatever and put them all together. But like now I, I practice what's called eclectic mysticism, which means I've read all the different books that are out there about different paradigms and different dogmas and whatever. And I've realized that the one thing they all have in common is love. Everything that you do should be based on love. So, but I believe that the quest for love is a lifelong quest because there's always going to be a part of ourselves that we don't love. Mm. No one is perfect. No one truly loves every little aspect of themselves because we have that little thing in our head of self-talk from the ego that pulls us in check every once in a while, whenever it feels like it saying, you know, oh, my belly's too big or my ears sit on funny angles. Yes, they actually do. Well, this one goes out, this one goes up. Like I see that every day. I've accepted it now. Now that's all you're going to see. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, there's that little critique inside our head that keeps us apart. Um, so everyone has that, but it's how we respond to that and how like we have to get to a certain level of self-acceptance in order to practice self-love. Um, but yeah, so to go back to your question of when did I first experience love? Shit. Um, Guess I could go, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Sorry, that, pop <laughs> oh, that song, sorry. Um, for me, what I would consider like true, the depth, the crux of love was oh, not to be too cliche, but was probably the day that I got married. Um, like 
because like I had a very spiritual marriage ceremony Mm. um, and coming to that point in your life where for the first time ever, like I felt that this is someone standing opposite me that accepts me completely. And if they can accept me completely, why can't I accept myself? Mm. Um, And so I guess at that point in time was the first time I really felt love at that deepest, 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 deepest level. Mm. Like, yes, I love my parents. Don't get me wrong. And yes, I love my siblings. And yes, I love my friends. Um, But that's the point. Like from meeting my partner over the 15 years that we've been together, that level of understanding of what love is has deepened Mm. um, over the years. Like, and I think it's only getting stronger and stronger with every day that passes. I mean, now we're like, everyone talks about there's no love that you ever feel until the love of a child. I'm yet to experience that because I don't have children mm-hmm. yet. Um, but I'm, I'm eager for that next chapter to see what that feels like to love mm-hmm. something so unconditionally. Cause I know my mom expresses that to me daily. She accepts every aspect of me, mm-hmm. even the hissy fits and door slams and whatever else. They're not all perfect. I don't do it as much these days, but when I was a kid, I was very, I had a lot of teenage angst. Um, but yeah, she, she accepts me even when I'm abrasive because sometimes I do have to give tough love to family members. Um, cause sometimes being soft doesn't always get the message through. So sometimes you have to be a bit flippant. <laughs> and, but anyway, so yeah, to, so first time I really experienced love was probably then um, to the deepest understanding of what I, what I know love to be, but love for self, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. Um, love for another is easy to, to, to talk about. Love for self is much, much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I've only really discovered on a, on the deepest level in probably since around September, which is when I first started jumping into the life coaching space and doing an LP and whatever else. That's when I started scratching at the surface. And every time I do another course or read another book. Now I'm reading it with a whole different viewpoint because now my mindset's different. Mm. So I don't just read a book to say I've read the book and go tick. Yep. I've read that book. (laughs) I'm reading it and I'm critiquing like applying it and critiquing my own life with the lessons from that book. Uh, So every day that goes on, I chip away at another level level of myself of this outside shell that I've created as a protection from others. Um, And I've had like, I mean, if people are spiritually minded, they might resonate with this, but I've like, I've seen energy workers and stuff. Like I am a Reiki practitioner, but I've also spoken to like energy healers and stuff about my energy. And I know that my heart chakra, if you're in the spiritual paradigm, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I know that my heart chakra is closed off a lot of the time. Mm. It's a protective thing. Do I like that about myself? No, I love everyone. Don't get me wrong, but I keep myself guarded as a protection. Um, so I'm slowly learning each day to open up more and more and more and show that vulnerability and, and just realize that people can accept all of me. I don't have to be a certain thing for them to accept me. I don't have to wear a certain mask or be a certain character or play a certain part. Like, but it's hard because over the years I've learned to keep switching my masks depending on who I'm around. Like out to friends, not out to parents. Right? Out to my friends, I'm wearing my gay mask. Come home, I'm wearing my straight mask because I don't want my parents to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, then with my Zumba people, like I'm very on. When I'm on stage and I'm teaching, I'm on. Mm. 
but then that's different to the me at home with my partner mm. because I'm no, no one is that extra or maybe he is, but no, no one is usually <laughs> that extra all the time. Um, yeah. So we all have different masks that we wear in life, but slowly yeah. I'm learning to realize that I don't need masks. Yeah. I can just be me. And all of these parts are me, but they're not me at the same time. If that makes sense. I know I'm going to going very abstract terms, but no, like with yeah. these masks, like a lot of people wear masks to protect themselves. It's, yeah. you, know, it's you know, they want to put this image, especially when it comes to social media, they want to put this image of this is who I am, but this is not because I'm, you know, terrified over here. And um, with these masks that you're talking about going from, you know, being Zumba and going home to your husband, um, do you still feel like you're putting on a bit of a protection thing? Not as much, mm-hmm. not as much, not since I started doing a lot more inner work. Um, because now, I, and it li- this lesson is literally new to me of like, I, I, cause I studied psych at uni. So I understood the, like Carl Jung and his theory about like archetypes and wearing the different masks and all that kind of stuff. So I understood all that, like from an education, intellectual perspective, but to apply that to yourself is a different story. Um, but now I'm realizing that, I only had this epiphany in September um, that my closest group of friends that we have a group chat and even because I met them through Zumba, I was still projecting a very specific version of myself to them. Mm-hmm. And I was going through a really tough time because I got started to chip away at all of this stuff using NLP and whatever. Um, but I know I'd only scratch the surface, which is why I signed up to go back and do the next level of like NLP mastery and stuff, because I was like, I'm not done yet. There's more stuff in there buried deeper than I need to get to. Um, so that two months between September and November, I went through another spout of, because I'd scratch, I started opening up the Pandora's box, if you will, of my life. And because I had a very short experience on, going through timeline therapy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we started scratching the surface on a lot of things and all these memories of suicide and drug abuse and abuse and whatever were coming back into my mind. And I thought that I was suicidal again, mm. but it's not, it took me to open up to my husband and say like, I'm actually not liking my life. Like I hate my life right now. And he's like, what do you mean? Like you were doing so well. I'm like, yeah, but like, all these memories are coming back that things that I'd buried deep, like yeah. so deep suppressed and repressed them for years had come back into the surface. Um, and I opened up to my group of friends and they said to us, they're like, shit, we didn't realize you're going through something. I'm like, well, because I don't want to burden you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're like, you're not a burden though. You don't always have to be switched on. You don't always have to be performing. Like you can be you. Um, and that lesson, whilst it's very new to me, it's something that now I live on a daily basis. It's that you don't have to act or perform through life. Um, there are times to do that. And then there are times to just be you. So if I wake up and I'm having a low moment in my life, I'll tell people I've said it on my Facebook lives. Like there are days when I'm having a shit day and I just talk about it because no one's perfect even though I'm in this transformational life coaching space, one thing that you'll realize with anyone that's in a coaching space, and I mean anyone that's in a coaching space, we all have a story. Mm -hmm. 
And that's because we are people. Every person in this planet has a story. The difference is those that are attracted to the coaching space have done a lot of inner work to then want to help others get through their shit. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Did I answer the question or did I digress and go off on a tangent? <laughs> I, I have a tendency of doing that. To be honest, because you just explain so much and, you know, things people don't talk about, what they're actually feeling and thinking. And, you know, a lot of people put a lot of shame and guilt on how they feel and what they do. And yeah. being able to talk about that is, you know, it's really powerful. Well, that's like, like, I mean, especially in today's society, like we get, we get inundated with messages and emails and phone calls and comments and tagged in this and blah, 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 that and da, 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 da. And there's so many invites to so many events. I used to be one of those people that I have to go to every event because I don't want anyone to feel unloved by me. And I have to be a certain person at that event. Now, if I'm not feeling up to it, I just politely decline because I've learned it's okay to say no. Um, but then I follow up with them when I'm feeling a bit better. Like, and I'll say to them, like, I'm not having a good day today. Like, I'm not keen on catching up. Can we catch up another day? Or if they're like, no, 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 I want to see you though. I don't care if you're having a down day. So I'll go see them, but we will literally talk about whatever the issue is rather than putting on a brave face and smiling and, you know, I'm all Zen and I'm all perfect and I'm all happy all the time. Like, yeah. It's okay to be real with people. Mm. <laughs> and like, actually, it's not okay. We should be real with people because otherwise if we're not real, we're fake. Yeah. And that's one thing I don't, not don't tolerate, that's a bad word to use, but like I don't jive well or connect well with fake. Mm. Um, and I know for a long time in my life, I was very fake. Yeah. Um, like, because I learned to be, you put on a brave face, you suck it up. You don't open up to people. Um, so you project a version of yourself that you think people need to see. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another question that I have um, in relation to you doing drugs. Yep. The time that you said enough is enough and you stopped. Now going from the type of drugs that you were on and how much you were doing, how did you find that process? Of, to come off drugs? Yeah. I mean, not just like mentally, but physically as well. Yeah. Um, so with me, look, I'm, I'm going to be so that it's clear. I was never an addict as such. I do have an addictive personality, meaning it's very easy for me to get addicted to something. Um, meaning like I was addicted to Coca-Cola for years, gave it up in September, never touched it since. Um, I was addicted to sugar for years. Like I can, I get addicted to everything, even the good stuff. Like I'm not just talking diet related. Like um, if I, if I'm into something, I'm into it like a hundred percent, like I'm all in. Um, So I've been through lots of phases. My friends call them my phases in my life where, um, like I went through a very gothic phase where I was very much into Evanescence and into the the emo phase of my life. I love Evanescence. Like, yeah. Um, I still listen to it, but it has a very different meaning to me. <laughs> yeah. Because Evanescence for me back then was another coping mechanism. I said I listened to a lot of music um, and Evanescence helped me heal a lot. Yeah. Um, my immortal is literally an ode to myself. Like I listen to that song when I'm at my lowest of lows 
and every time I listen to it, it has a different meaning. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I've digressed from the message. Um, so like, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm thinking about evanescence now because I used to do the yeah. same thing with my. Oh, we're talking about drugs. We're talking about getting off right. drugs and all. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so because I have an addictive personality, like I obsess over things <laughs> much, like because yeah. I have mild forms of OCD, like not at the moment because I'm between houses, but like I like things a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I'm very fixated on things have to be done my way and whatever else, but then coupled with my addictive personality kind of doesn't really help those two things should never be together. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, sometimes when, when I was taking drugs, it would literally be, I want to take drugs because I was addicted to that escape. But then after a while, when I'd stopped the abuse, I was then still chasing that escape Mm -hmm. because I'm then dealing like, even though I stopped the abuse at 21, I had 21 years worth of memories that I was then escaping. Um, so I don't even remember exactly when I stopped officially. It wasn't like for a long time. It was for a few years that I was taking drugs. Um, cause I wasn't an addict, but I was definitely addicted to that high. Um, and just that whole feeling of not having to worry about life. But then when you, when you, like anyone that has taken any kind of recreational substances, you know that there's a, there's a thing called Suicide Tuesday. It's, a, it's a, like a joking term that they use in the drug scene mm-hmm. because if you take drugs on a weekend, when you stop taking them on Sunday, it takes you till Tuesday to come down off them mm-hmm. and then you want to kill yourself. They, it's said jokingly, yeah. but it's because you come down and the withdrawals and the, you are so moody because you're, you're... And this is the thing. Chemically, your brain is so depleted of serotonin which is the happy feeling natural drug that you have in your brain because you've depleted all your serotonin all your dopamine everything's gone so you are literally just left with the shit feeling so come tuesday you feel like crap um and that whole withdrawal process is it just it gets exponential the more drugs you take and for the longer period of time that you take them not to say like I wasn't a daily user or anything like that. For me, it would just be a weekend thing, but it went from being a, I'm going to take drugs on weekends and go out and party at a club to I'm going to take drugs to sit at home. Like that's when I'm like, hang on a second, this is not healthy because I'm literally taking drugs to sit at home. Like why do I need drugs to sit at home? I can just sit at home. So it's at that point when, um, I realized I'm like, okay, this is becoming a problem. And I knew it was my addictive personality that was causing it. So um, it's at that point when I started to study fitness. So Mm. I got into Zumba and I started to teach Zumba on weekends. um, And I started to do my, I got my cert three in fitness qualification. I started going to the gym, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I realized that like, it was through that journey that I'm like, hang on, my body is my temple. Mm. Like I need to nourish this thing, not poison it with chemicals. Um, so there have been times since then when I've thought about taking drugs. Cause as I said, like over the years, so much shit has happened, mm. but not since I've done the inner work because I finally let go of all of that baggage. It's no longer baning my existence. It's no longer plaguing my mind on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, drug addiction is an interesting thing or just taking drugs is an interesting thing because you don't know who you are when you're on them. You think you are a certain person, mm. but it's chemicals. 
It's all, and it's literally all drugs do is they release chemicals that are already in your body. They, they trick your body into feeling certain things. Um, and now I found other ways to release the same chemicals. Like here's the thing I said before that sugar and chocolate release the same chemical response in your brain as heroin. So I've also watched this other thing. Like there's a thing called dose. So you say you take a dose of something like a drug or a, you know, medicine or whatever, but dose I've now learned is an acronym. Well, this is not, it's not the real technical thing, but someone that I've watched on videos and stuff, I can't remember her name now. I can look it up and let you know, but um, she has this thing where she calls it a dose of something. It's when you get dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So they're released through different activities. So you can get um, endorphins you get from exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with dopamine and oxytocin. And I think serotonin you get from connection, from connecting with people, like hugging people. As mm-hmm. soon as you hug someone and truly hug them, your body releases the feel-good hormones, the yeah. feel-good chemicals in your brain. So that's why now, like that's that's another reason why now, like I do Zumba because I love it. it for me, it's fun. Um because I've always been a dancer, as I said, it's, it's that whole escaping reality in a healthy way. I used to escape reality at the clubs on drugs. Now I'm escaping reality by dancing on stage in front of like hordes of women and some men. Mm. Um, and during that time, I literally get the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins that I need. So I'm getting a dose of a new drug and it's a natural drug and that's the chemicals in my brain. So, um, so technically I am still a drug addict. <laughs> but I'm not taking substances. The good drugs. Um, yeah, the good drugs. The feel good drugs that your body produces naturally. And I'm re- and you're releasing them in a way that they were intended to be released. Yeah. This is why I hug everyone. I'm a huge hugger. Mm. Um, because when you hug someone, um, you release serotonin. Mm. Like, it's not that I go around hugging everyone because that would be weird. <laughs> but you know, you know when you need to hug someone and when they need yeah. a hug or when you need a hug. And yeah. sometimes I literally just say to people like, hey, can I have a hug? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, um, I don't know if I really answered the question, but I guess it's kind of like I've literally just gone from replacing a drug addiction with addictions to other things, yeah. which is looking after my body and improving my self-development. So I read so many books I think at any one given moment, I'm reading about eight books at once. Like I start them all. It gets different days. I feel like reading different things. So I literally have bookmarks in so many books um, at the same time because I read whatever is resonating with me on that day. And I watch so many podcasts, oh, sorry, listen to lots of podcasts. I watch so many videos and masterclasses. I do so much personal development. Like if you could tally up how much I've spent on personal development in the last 12 months alone, that's <laughs> half a house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I know that was a very long-winded answer to the question. No, no. but like but, saying that, I've got like six books sitting like right here that I I'm just reading throughout the week. It, it depends on my mood and depends what exactly. I want to get from the book. What am I learning from it? Yep. Yeah. Um. I forgot what I was gonna say. Okay, so one of the questions that I have for you is. If you were to give advice to yourself when you're around the 12 to 14 year old mark, what would you say to him? Oh shit. Okay. 12 to 14. So let me just paint a picture of where I was at at 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. So I was starting to experiment with boys Mm -hmm. um, between that period, 12 to 14 sexually. Um, 
I was starting to, that was when I think I really knew what being gay was. Although I wasn't subjected to it, I knew that I was, I was attracted to boys sexually, no interest in girls. Um, so yeah, me at 12 to 14 was that. I also started to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 12 to 14, what else happened? So I was actually a high achiever at 12 to 14. So um, school-wise, I went from, so when I was in, high school so it was in year eight so 14 year old in year eight that I um did the entrance exam to get into Melbourne High which for those that aren't from Melbourne because I don't know who's watching this um it's a selective school where you have to do an entrance exam to get into the school um because my teachers in year eight told me that I was gifted and then if I stayed at the school that I was at that I'd be held back so I did the exam to get into Melbourne High because it was the first time in my life I'm like oh my god I'm going to accomplish something Um, and it was great. I got in, I was over the top of, I was on top of the world, but then little did I know when I got to a school like that, where everyone there is gifted, that that would also, I wasn't psychologically ready. Like I, that was so overwhelming. And and to be honest, my parents were not nurturing me in the right environment at home to support that type of uh, education. Um, so me at 12 to 14, Oh, so many things. Fuck, I could take this in so many different directions. So if I was talking to myself right now, I would literally say, like, things are going to get tough before they get better. Mm. But don't forget who you are. Um, people aren't going to understand you, that you're different, but don't dim your light for them. Like, you need to keep shining at your brightest and just keep being the joyful, playful kid that you always were. Don't, don't let the things that happen to you stop you from being your true self um, because you, it will take you a while to learn it, but eventually you're going to realize that that joy and that legitimate positivity and happiness that you exude is going to change thousands of people's lives. And it's going to take you a while to get there, but you will get there eventually. Um, yeah, things are going to get shit for a while and you're going to go through all kinds of mixed emotions. You're going to do very destructive things to your body and it's going to affect you for years to come, but just hang in there because it does get better and you're going to learn a new kind of strength that you have deep within you. Um, like, I wish I could just give it to him right now. Mm. If I could just transport what I feel for myself and the level of healing that I've had to my inner child. Um, I wish I could just teleport that to him through time and space. Mm. But, like, I know I've painted a very, very gloomy picture about my past, but I've actually reached a certain level of spiritual understanding that I'm thankful for my past mm-hmm. even the abuse because without experiencing the pain i couldn't experience the joy mm-hmm. and i don't believe that everyone should have to experience pain in order to experience joy and love but i now know the polarity because i know what it feels to be so full of self-loathing and so full of hatred to others that it's far easier for me to know what it feels to be full of self-love and for love of others. Like I have a, I have a clear definition of the spectrum 
um, I live my life on this side now, but for a long time I lived down here. Mm. So I know that it was important for him, my 12 to 14 year old self to go through everything he went through. Um, because it's, it's, it's made me, me. Mm. If he didn't go through what he did, then I wouldn't be this person. I don't even know what I would be right now if I didn't experience everything that I've gone through. Um, will I be a life coach? Who knows? Because I am a life coach because of my past and because of all these things that have happened to me. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, he, he's, he's, he doesn't realize it yet, but he's about to go through some really shit years of his life. Um, Cause he's going through a stage where hormonally he's trying to learn who he is. Mm. Um, psychologically he's trying to develop into an adult and to some degree that's going to be stunted um, like I was forced to grow up very quick I don't fully believe that I lived my life as a teenager because mm. I had to turn into an adult I went from childhood to adulthood pretty quickly um, I never really got to experience that phase of my life. So that's why as a 20 something year old, a lot of people thought that I was still in my early twenties when I was in my late twenties, when I was in my mid twenties, they thought I was still a teenager because like I was doing all the things that teenagers do acting the way teenagers do now in my thirties, people think I'm still in my twenties. I'm 35, but I still live my life as if I'm in my twenties because like I put that part of my life on hold for so long that now I'm trying to play catch up. Um, but now I just have that wisdom that you get when you're in your thirties. <laughs> knowledge and reflection. <laughs> but I don't feel like I'm in my thirties. Yeah. Even though I know I am. Um, well, some days I do feel like I'm in my thirties when it's tried hard to get out of bed in the morning. But <laughs> anyways, I digress again. But yes, that's my message that I'd have for my twelve to fourteen year old self. That yeah. it's gonna get tough, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There yeah. is a there is an end to all of this. Um, but it's important for him to go through that and realize that he is stronger than he realizes. Mm. Yeah. Kind of feel like you're talking to my inner child when you were saying all oh, that. Really? I'm like, oh, don't tear up now. <laughs> yeah. Touch on inner child. If, if, like to share another story. So I'm full of stories. This, this conversation could be long. I don't even know how long this is going to go for. But like, uh, yeah. So inner child work. So when I was talking to a psych years ago, when I was dealing with a lot of the um, like when my parents first divorced, uh, when they were first separating and going through divorce, um, I was seeing a psych and um, we did an exercise where it was to meet the inner child. And I ventured to, so this is a visualization exercise. So this is completely fictitious. Well, in, it was in my brain. This is what I saw when I went on this journey through the, what the psychologist was taking me through. So we went to a mountain lodge. It was like this little, log cabin on a mountain in the most remote place you could ever think of. And when I opened the door, the place was very well kept, very meticulous, but very rustic. Mm. And I was in there and then I was in there looking around and it was all my things. My belongings were in that room. It was very much my energy and all my stuff. So I recognize that as my, my house. Then the door opened and my inner child walked in and I don't know how else to describe him, but he was this, he was like a five-year-old kid. I'd say five or six-year-old kid, dirty, unkept hair. Um, like he was wearing this tattered old clothing. 
um, and he started attacking me in his visualization. And he didn't like he didn't speak. He was just growling and making yelling and screaming noises and like weird sounds. He was very aggressive, and it's almost like and and like I tried to communicate with him and he just wasn't communicating with me, and he was just yelling at me and trying to attack me. Like he was trying to like with a spear. I don't know why he had a spear, but he was attacking me with a spear, and he was just so full of anger and hatred and he didn't trust anyone he didn't even trust me and i didn't understand why so obviously my psychologist brought me out of that visualization quick smart because it was not going the way she thought it would um i wasn't ready yet to tap into that stuff um fast forward a number of years i did after i've done all this inner work through nlp and timeline therapy and stuff i then did another meditation where I journeyed back to that same place to visit him again. Mm. And this time the kids still looked the same, but this time whilst he came at me to attack me again, I actually went up to him and I just grabbed him and I hugged him. Mm. And for the first time ever, like I apologized to myself for not being there to support my inner child for thinking that I needed to fight the world around me in order to, you know, stay strong and whatever else. Um, like for pushing him aside and, you know, suppressing and repressing him for so long and for losing touch of who he is. Um, and it was like this most heartfelt moment of me and myself when I was a kid, just hugging and embracing. And it was the first time that I'd experienced self-love on that level because I'd healed my inner child and through the visualization, like I literally, this light burst out between us and then we infused as one person mm. and then he kind of merged into my current self and coming out of that meditation, I came out of it and I was bawling my eyes out, mm. but it wasn't tears of sadness. It was actually tears of release. Like it was just shit. Like I finally forgive myself. I finally accept myself. I no longer need to have to like attack myself. Mm. I'm at peace with everything that's happened. Um, so again, I know there's a very spiritual outlook on the whole thing, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Like, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself lately and you know, that inner child just keeps coming up. Yep. So yeah. So I read tarot cards. So anytime the sun card comes up, which came up with me this week, Mm-hmm. It tells me that I need to get in touch with him again. Yeah. So, and that can be done through many different ways, like whether it's just playing, being, or looking at the world with childhood wonder. Mm. Don't just look at it like an adult. Look at something like as if it's the first time you've ever looked at it. That's the simplest way of getting in touch with a child. Yeah. Like I literally, I sit down really low on the grass as if I'm a little kid <laughs> and I look at something with so much wonder as if it's the first time I've ever looked at a plant before. I'm saying that because yeah. there's a plant here on the table. Um, and I just look at it and I'm like, wow, that is so cool. And then you're like, you look at it as if you've never seen it before. Um, like, cause children have an interesting way of looking at life. Yeah. Um, and as adults, we, yeah, we do. We don't, we take things for granted. Mm. Like the amount of times since I've been house sitting for my brother, this is my brother's backyard. And, um, the amount of times I've literally just come out here and stood there on the edge of that balcony mm. and just stared out into the trees. Mm. Um, like I literally just staring out to the trees and my, I allow my inner child to work. So like 
sometimes I picture what some of the branch, the shapes that the branches are making and I try to see images in them. And then, and then at one point I was giving them personalities like this, this tree has this personality because they, they look like this. And this one is a little bit more like whimsical because she's all flowy. And, and I give them like <laughs> genders, names and so stupid, but like, it's, it's what a child would do. Yeah. And I think um, that's what we need to do. You know, we forgot. And I think that's why it comes up so often because we've just forgotten our inner child. Yep, because we think we don't have time for that shit. We make time for that shit. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> Otherwise, you get bugged down with a stressful parent or stressful adult life or stressful, you know, whatever the, the role is that you're playing, a manager or a boss or whatever. Mm. Like, it's very easy to get bogged down with the shit that life presents us. And sometimes to connect with yourself is where that will make all the stresses deplete. <laughs> anyway. So if there's one final thing that you would like to say to the listeners, any piece of advice that you want to give them, what would it be? Um, there's one piece of advice that I could give listeners. It would be Basically, the message that I've carried throughout this whole thing is like everyone has a story, but your story is only as valuable as the lessons you can learn from it. And sometimes that learning comes from sharing. Like it, there's a difference between telling a story for others to feel sorry for you versus telling a story to connect with people. Hmm. I don't know if I like articulated that right, but yeah. So when I tell my story now, it's to be vulnerable and to be open and to help that one person that I don't even know who might be watching and listening to go, shit, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's felt this way. Um, and this guy seems to have gotten through it. So there's hope. Um, so no matter what you're going through in life, just open up to the people around you. And if you don't have someone, I mean, there's two people right here, you and me that like reach out to Rio, reach out to me. Like we'll listen yeah. or anyone like, you know, as in, we may not know you, but we will listen to you. Um, and we will help you. We'll support you. We'll be whatever you need. Like, you know, so there are people out there. You may not know them yet, mm -hmm. but if you just open your heart, open your mind and, and, tell your story you never know who's going to connect with that and who's going to want to like share that with you mm. like and that's how you and i connected right we started sharing yeah. each other's stories and like whilst our friendship has been very short i feel like i know you on a deeper level than some of the other people in my life mm. because we've shared very intimate things like yeah. with each other like it's not just all the superficial stuff it's we've talked about real things yeah um yeah so if that's the one message i could give to people it's never be afraid to open up mm. um because if someone isn't willing to listen to your story then there will be someone else mm. like there's always going to be someone else that is willing to listen yeah. and if they're not willing to listen then i'm of that opinion that i like to believe that i surround myself with people that are I always want to see me at my best. 
in order to see me at my best and be in my life when I'm at, at my best, you need to also be willing to accept me at my worst. Um, because it's otherwise it's like what's the point in connection if you're only going to be around me when i'm successful then you don't like you know what i mean like you don't deserve that so i'm very very picky on who i spend my time with these days um because yeah there's there's so many connections on social media mm -hmm. but the ones that i surround myself with and that i devote my time and energy to mm -hmm. it's because it's it's a mutual a mutual connection of vulnerability and of openness and love mm. yeah i don't know if i that kind of yeah that that's my answer that, that'll do <laughs> i could yes, ramble for nothing <laughs> i could keep talking <laughs> this is the thing i'm conscious of viewers who are watching is thinking god this guy doesn't shut up <laughs> like, hopefully they're still watching at this point hopefully. no i think it's been like an hour an hour and a half i don't even know oh shit <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think of it as the best no, hour of my hour. It's been really amazing, like really powerful. Like I've just learned so much just by listening to you. And one thing that just came up was I find it funny that I physically have never met you. Yeah. I know, yeah. right? How but weird I is that? Connected with you on like a deeper level than I would someone I know, you know, for twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. And but that's because we've both been vulnerable with each other on talking about real life stuff. Mm. Like even even just the case, like I've I've looked over our messages a few times on on like Facebook chat and stuff. And like some of the things that we've talked about are the most random things. Mm. Um but we've like it's because we've opened up. We've yeah. been open and we know that when we share something that the recipient is open to talking about it and it's never from like there's no fear of judgment or fear of um, rejection or fear of anything. It's just, I'm going to share this with you and I'm hoping that you'll be receptive to it. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's a real connection, not a superficial one. Mm. <laughs> we will meet though. We will meet. <laughs> we will. So I think it was a few months ago. Um, the kind of conversations that I would have, uh, hi, how are you? How's the weather? You know, basic shit. And I got to a point where I'm just like, oh, I've had enough. I, I'm, I'm just so sick of having the same conversations with people. They were too predictable. And, and I didn't say what I really wanted to say. Yep. And so I just got to that point. I'm like, okay, enough is enough. And then I started having real conversations with people and I did the inner work. And now I thrive on having those connections with people. And that's how Conversations with Ray came, came forward because there are so many stories that people have that, you know i want to give them the opportunity to tell yep. and you know for them to be able to develop more conversations from that and yeah i think that's just really good and really powerful that yeah. is awesome yeah. like there's not enough of this being done so that's yeah. why I'm, like, I'm actually like in all honesty i'm like i'm honored to actually be one of the people that you've asked to be on this because <laughs> like i have such a huge multi-layered story that goes for ages and mm. i just having the opportunity to share it with people that I don't even know um, is huge. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll never stop telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> anyway, I uh, just thank you so much for just coming on here. Um, and I'm going to be adding all the your social links 
um, below so that everyone who feels connected with you and your story can contact you and see what you're doing um, yeah, cool. with all your transformations and, and how you're helping people. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you. So but much. also, like, another thing, anyone watching this, like, if you want to connect personally, because I do Facebook Lives on a regular basis and I'm always sharing stories. So, like, if they want to connect personally, like Ray did, like, she connected with me randomly and then we've become friends from that. So, <laughs> like we have this thing called the internet. Did you know? We don't have to meet in real life to be connected. Some of my closest friends are literally on the other side of the world. I see, I've, yeah. some of them I've seen a handful of times, others I'd never see. We mm -hmm. only have an internet connection. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's not any less of a friendship. Um, yeah, you don't have to jump on a plane and spend thousands of dollars to connect with someone. You just need a, a video. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you. And I really appreciate you coming on. No, thank you again. Um, I'm just happy to help help you with your conversations with Ree and I'll yeah. share it on all my platforms as well to get more people to follow and listen. And, cause, and I look forward to following who else you've got on here because I think it would be awesome. Mm, yeah. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'll talk to you soon, yeah? Yes. Okay. Ciao. Right. ciao. <laughs> Bye.